Well, uh, I was, uh, I kind of read through the Psalms, part of Psalm 65 has a, has a verse or maybe two verses in it that I thought make a, a good table blessing. And I'd like to just recite that to you as a Thanksgiving to start the day and we eat our food. The, uh, it's like this. The earth has yielded its increase. The Lord our God has blessed us. May the Lord continue to bless us. And may all the earth revere Him. Amen. It's brief. Says it. Covers it. Yep. Yeah. Which verse is that? Uh, Psalm 65. I, I think it's Psalm 65. <coughs> I forget which verse. <coughs> Uh, it may have been. Maybe I maybe I made this up, huh? It's a good one to good make Good job, Bob. Yeah. Good job, because I don't find it there anyway. We're going to hire you to write, you to write some songs, because that's pretty good. What book is that? Is the book of Robert? Well, I don't see that anywhere. <laughs> I don't see it either. <laughs> the book of Ross. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to test you on it. <laughs> Sam, you're always causing problems. I The uh, the last part of Psalm 65 does have a, a verses that are filled with praise, uh, uh, starting at verse eight. Uh, Those living far away fear your wonders, where e- morning dawns and evening fades. You call forth songs of joy, and then he talks about how God cares for the land. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it. Uh, streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. Or so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges, soften its showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow, but the hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. You know, the, whole, the whole earth expresses uh, the glory of God uh, in, in a voice that's not heard with human words. But uh, 67 seems to be a couple of verses. Is it? 67 yeah. towards the end, uh, starting at verse 5. Starting at verse 5, yeah. Well...
Yeah, that's uh, really it's kind of a verse six. The land will yield its harvest, then God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us. This is the New International Version. I was quoting, I think, the Revised Standard Version, which is a little closer to the King James. I like the word, re uh, the earth may revere him, as opposed to mine says fear. But This says fear, yeah. Like but the Revised Standard says revere. Yeah. Which is... Really, what is, the word fear doesn't mean, you know, I'm scared he's going to kill me. Right. You know, something terrible yeah. is going to happen. Right. But uh, it's, it's being reverent and, and subdued in the presence of God. It's respecting his power. Respect. Right. Respectful fear. And reverence is a word that expresses that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the subject today has to do with the, uh, the Nicene Creed says we believe in one baptism for remission of sins. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, kind of biblically a reference to uh, Ephesians, which Four or five. You look, <clears throat> talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father overall. One baptism, <clears throat> and that's uh, that's part of the, the fundamental creed. One baptism, and they add for the remission of sins. <clears throat> and uh, this chapter kind of talks about the practice of baptism, both in the as it's as it's mentioned and revealed in the New Testament, and then in the second and third centuries, some developments how baptism was practiced. And, uh, and of course, uh, that's been a major uh, point of division uh, in uh, Christianity, still is. Not only how, how we are baptized by immersion or sprinkling or pouring, but who should be baptized? Should babies be baptized? <coughs> and the meaning of baptism is baptism essential for salvation? People ask. So, going back to the New Testament, I guess most of most of you guys you know, are working. Since you have a new cup, you want a little more? There you go. I'm familiar with the fact that the word baptized is uh, was not, it's just a way of taking the Greek word and, and turning it into an English word. It's called transliteration. Not a translation, but just kind of literally taking the Greek word baptizo 
and making it baptize, turn it into an English word, doesn't translate the word. The, the literal meaning of the word is what? Immerse. 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 Or dip. Or wash. Angel is the same thing. And mm -hmm. Angel is a transliteration. It's not a translation. It's from means messenger. Yeah, messenger. Yeah, really, that's the meaning of angel, isn't it? Yeah. The... Um, I've indicated, you know, I've been thinking about baptism. How did baptism, uh, how did the church come to baptize? How did uh, Jesus command baptism and the church uh, baptize? There is precedent in the Old Testament law for, for the use of water for cleansing, for physical as well as spiritual command, uh, purity. Uh, Moses bathed Aaron and his sons before their ordination. Leviticus 8.6 uh, and um, we know that in Jesus' day there was uh, the, um, the Pharisaic Jews had a tradition that went back some centuries, a long time, and been passed down, but it's not really found explicitly in the law in the Old Testament about washing your hands before you eat. And they criticized Jesus for, for avoiding, not, not following these particular traditions, uh, as well as some other traditions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he was criticized for. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, the word baptismo is, is used to describe the Jewish ritual washings before eating. So uh, they talked about baptizing their hands <laughs> before you eat. <laughs> now, in the New Testament, how were people baptized? The mode of baptism. Um, it's pretty clear. If you look at descriptions, for example, the Jordan River, uh, people... John the Baptist was baptizing in the river. Why do you baptize in the river? If you're just going to take a little water and pour it on people, you could take a jug of water. You don't have to get to go down in the river, do you? Yeah. And, and in Acts chapter 8, when Philip is talking to, uh, to, you know, to the Ethiopian eunuch about the, the gospel, and uh, interestingly enough, it doesn't. Uh, he's explaining Isaiah, isn't it? Isaiah doesn't say anything about if you believe in, the, in, the, in Jesus, if you believe in the suffering servant, you can be baptized in his name. There's nothing in Isaiah about baptism. But somehow the Ethiopian eunuch knew or had heard or Philip had told him, you know, that those who accept Jesus as a Messiah are baptized in his name. Um, as a sign of their discipleship or commitment to him, and and he and he did believe, and he said, "Look, uh, here's here's some water. Uh, why can't I be baptized?" 
and so they they both get down and go, and they go into and come out of the water, don't they? So it uh, indicates, you know, there's immersion. And then there's the way Paul talks about it, about being buried in baptism, which indicates, you know, that it was full immersion. So. So the New Testament seems to indicate pretty clearly that it was by immersion, and we do know even from subsequent writings that it was. And, it, and I, I ran across this, the Talmud. Now the Talmud was uh, something that was put together later, a couple of centuries later before the, the Jewish Talmud, which put together all these traditions uh, into one volume. But when it's describing the ritual washings that you're supposed to do, Jewish law, it says, spent considerable effort detailing the need for full immersions in the cleansing washers. Uh, in other words, you don't just do a little sprinkling. You, you do a full and you get your hands fully wet or underwater. That it's, that's important. It's not just a little pouring or a little sprinkling. Uh, but that was the Jewish. Uh, uh, so uh, the uh, Everett Ferguson, who is a professor at Abilene Christian University, which is a Church of Christ school, uh, writes that uh, this uh, uh, tractate, the Mikwa'af, Mikwa'af is a part of the Talmud, clearly points to a total immersion. For valid immersion, water had to touch all parts of the body. Detailed regulations covering the size of an artificial immersion pool to permit a complete immersion and what constitutes clean water. They had regulations about how big this pool had to be so you could have a complete immersion. That's interesting. Interesting me baptizing in the in the Jordan River because at certain times of the year and and uh, in certain places the Jordan's pretty doggone shallow. There ain't yeah. much water there. I can yeah. tell you. <laughs> yeah, they're taking it. Well, they're taking it. It, it depends on where it is and, and what time of year it is. Sometimes it's pretty dry. They <laughs> get out. Huh? Oh, the Dead, Dead Sea. Yeah, but I was just talking about the river itself. The river's the river's not much of a river in some places and sometimes. What does the New Testament say about who should be baptized? I didn't. I don't really have any references here. Uh, the uh, the Gospels talk about. Uh, for example, John the Baptist was baptized, and people came out to hear him. And uh, it, the, the presumption is that these were adults. They didn't. They didn't bring their babies right. with them. It doesn't, it doesn't mention any babies, and it seems like it's uh, adults who come out to hear John and are baptized. Uh, and uh, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the people who are listening who and are convicted are told to be baptized and 3,000 were. And 
it doesn't mention anything about their children. But it doesn't say it doesn't say there were no children there, does it? But it doesn't mention any. Right. Uh, the uh, but if you get into the book of Acts, we we do see several references in the book of Acts where so and so was baptized and his household. I think particularly of Cornelius. Right. Yeah. Cornelius and his household. That would include servants and children. Right. Uh, apparently, we, that would be included in the word household. You'd think so, yeah. Uh, and that was true, I think, uh, where it says about the jailer, Acts uh, 16, yeah. right. when they were in the jail at Philippi, mm -hmm. and the jailer believed he and his household were baptized. So the you could say, you could suppose or theorize that there were infants there. But it does it doesn't specifically say that the, the children were baptized, does it? No. But you'd uh, think household would cover everybody yeah. in the household. Except now, we think of that because we think of children as people and having rights. Okay. Being valuable portions of the household. But in those days, like, women and children were more like property. So, they were so we totally didn't... under the, uh, the head of the household, right. and he acted totally under the head. And even to the even to the extent that when when we're talking about, uh, um, and that's true someday to some extent. A child you know, can't go and get a loan from the bank. <laughs> can't sign a contract. But even when when, he, when Abraham sent his his servant out to go find a husband for for a son, you know the, the servant Elazar, the servant who went out to find the son. You know, he talks about the fact that, you know, the, he's, he's out there doing the will of the Lord of his master. Okay, so, so he's, the servants took, took the master's beliefs on as well. You know, as, but it wasn't his Lord. Yeah, but but he was but he was doing things you know basically as a representative of of, of his so he was, <clears throat> and um, and he knew he had found a pretty good candidate to be a wife when he saw this girl who could who could pull an awful lot of water out of the well. She was, <laughs> hey, water ten camels, huh? That's right. Yeah, water that's a lot of camel. water. That's a lot of water. <laughs> that's right. So this this girl keeper. She's a keeper. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, Rachel. Uh, well, that was Rebecca. Oh, Rebecca. Right. Yeah, Rebecca. Isaac's future wife. Right. Not Rebecca. Tony Bruce. Uh, <laughs> um, now another argument that that uh, was just adults only. One argument is specific. argument is that the people are told to repent and be baptized. Or he that believes and is baptized, right. Mark says, shall be saved. So uh, a child doesn't have that uh, ability 
or an infant certainly does right. I have that ability to repent or believe. And, and Matthew talks about making disciples by, by baptism. So infants are clearly not disciples. You know, they can't be they can't be taught everything that Jesus has commanded. Yeah, but we. Um, I'm, I meant to um, give you guys. A, I think I did put together when it comes to um, uh, developments of, of, of baptism. Uh, look down at point number five. Developments in the second and third centuries. Uh, this is uh, <clears throat> the, this uh, Didache is one of the earliest documents outside of the New Testament, uh, Christian documents that we actually have. We uh, we think probably it might have been written even before the end of the first century. If not, it was certainly early, early in the second century. There you century. go, Ormeal with ratings. And it still reflects a kind of Jewish perspective. Thank you. It's, it sounds a, a lot like uh, the, the sayings of Jesus. Uh, more Jewish rather than the writings of something like the Apostle Paul. Get you guys sorted up here. Thank you. Those are beautiful. Look. the church was baptizing or the instructions concerning baptism. Uh, it says, uh, this is the way you should baptize. Uh, having recited all these things, these things about the gospel, uh, about who Jesus is, you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, that's familiar to us. <clears throat> and uh, you baptize in living that is running water. Obviously, you're down, you're in, in, uh, in, not just in a pond, but they felt at this point they said somewhere it's more appropriate to be in running water, which is uh, more symbolic of life than water just in a pool, which is kind of dead. But, but if you don't have running water, <laughs> you can baptize in the pond. That's okay too, but it's preferable. Use the use the creek rather than the pond or the river. <coughs> but 
And if you're not able in cold water, then in warm. The water should be cold. <coughs> but if you don't have e neither, you don't have a, 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 a creek or a river or a pond or cold water, then pour water on the head three times in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. How'd they come up with three times? <laughs> and and actually, uh, I think uh, the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, down through the centuries, had had a practice of threefold immersion. And usually, by the way, I think they baptized was by uh, the person kind of kneeling in the water, and then they would bend over rather than lying the back bend over and immerse them once in the name of the Father, then immerse them the second time, so forth. But here, there, here we do see that the church is allowing pouring when, you, when the other is not available. Um, and then uh, there are references a little later in the third century that in cases of emergency, uh, you would use a, a pouring. person is on his deathbed and you're not going to be able to get them to, to the river or to a pool, then you, but they've never been baptized, you could pour water on them in an emergency. Uh, and then there was this, the uh, Didache mentions, already mentions the fact that that uh, there should be some kind of preparation, particularly fasting. To, uh, fast for uh, the person who is being baptized a day or two. And even the person who's do performing it should fast also. Uh, and then later on, there was an emphasis upon you. You don't just baptize people who say you want to be baptized. You uh, say, well, let's make sure you understand the Christian faith. There would be a time of catechism, which means a teaching period. And uh, we do know, you know, like in the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church, they do have a, uh, they, they use their catechism time of uh, teaching their, their kids who've already been baptized as babies before they will confirm them. But, but if a person, an adult, can, if you want to join the Catholic Church, they wouldn't baptize you without your going through the instruction first. And uh, what do you think? you think that's a good idea? Wouldn't be the first good idea that wasn't scriptural, would it? <laughs> there's nothing. It's true. There's nothing in the New Testament that says you don't want to baptize anybody until they've been instructed right. in faith. Although <clears throat> the only instances we have of people being baptized, at least they've heard the gospel, right? <laughs> like like Cornelius. Yeah. Uh, well, or the 3,000. Uh, and the 3,000, you know, that Jesus is the Messiah who died and was raised again. Pretty basic, right? Uh, 
and to believe in that. And I and the uh, you know, and I don't think the church has always said you know that uh, that is the basis of faith. You don't need to understand other parts of Christian doctrine to be saved. You know, we do we do say uh, if you want to become a U.S. citizen, you do need some instruction. You even have to pass a test, don't you? Unless mm -hmm. you're born here, then you then you can know nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My back wants us to take tests. You have to be 25, I think. Oh, some of these, some of these kids that they uh, interview us. Oh yeah, on the street. Whew. Yeah. Another, another thing that we see in the second and third centuries, when we get to the subject, kind of we're going back now to, to some, who can be baptized, should the, should the children or infants, the children of, of the parents in the household, should they be baptized? And I grew up, of course, in the Church of Christ, a Baptist church and a Church of Christ. And uh, I had always believed and, always, and taught for many, many years that certainly infant baptism was a, a mistake, because that was totally wrong. But when I, I, I started reading about in the second and third centuries that, that uh, they were talking about the children being baptized, there was, and this, this kind of bothered me, that nobody objected to that. There was not a single teacher in the church who said, no, 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 that's not what the New Testament is, and what the apostles taught. That was just accepted by everybody. Now there was one objection. There was one objection to baptizing babies. We'll talk about that after we get our, our uh, welcome here. Good morning. Good morning. And you know the one objection to baptizing, uh, being baptized when you're young or still a child, that came up in the second and third century. The immersion. No, no, that's not one objection. No. Well, how, how, much can, how, much, how much can a baby understand about it? I mean, when you think about it, how can they? The objection was there, there, there was a, a development that the baptism was a kind of seal. And once you're sealed, you don't want that seal broken by a mortal sin. And there was even some some teaching that, that wasn't wasn't universally accepted that if you commit a mortal sin after baptism you can't even you know there's no going back and uh, they and there there is a verse in the book of Hebrews isn't there yes there is which kind of you know you could interpret it that way Hebrews 10 yeah so, so uh, Tertullian, uh, there were uh, some teachers, Tertullian was one of them, that said, well, it's probably better to wait and let, let, let a young man sow his wild oats. Grow up, you know, <laughs> and if he's got to party, let him party. And uh, if he's got to, to do it, let, let him get these, 
sins out of his system and then baptizing. <laughs> so that was the one objection. Which doesn't, uh, you know, but it was kind of assuming that the natural practice was that when the child, uh, babies are born, they're baptized. But, uh, and, and then, but what are the theological, are there any theological arguments to be made for why, why you would baptize your, your child? Now this, by the way, when we talk about baptism of infants, we're only talking about baptism of, of the Christian. The church has never just baptized. Well, I say the Catholic Church did develop this practice, right. but in general, the church uh, does not go out. The, the Lutheran, the Presbyterians don't go out looking for infants of non-Christian parents. And you're supposed to have, when, the, when this infant is baptized, you're supposed to have a sponsor, meaning someone who will stand up and say, I will raise this child in the faith. I'll right. take responsibility. Yeah. Normally, that's the parent who is a Christian and say, I'll take responsibility and make sure this child is raised in the faith. So, is there, can you think of any thing in the New Testament that might indicate that the church, although it doesn't say they were specifically baptized, it doesn't say that the, the ones that were baptized were one year old or even three years old, it doesn't say that, but can you think of any reason why Christians might have started baptizing their infants? Of course. Theologically. Of course. Scripture says that you can only go to heaven if you believe and repent and be baptized. So parents would want to think that their children would be with them in heaven. I think that from a practical side of things, I think that's one of the incentives to baptizing babies is, is now the parents feel that the child's going to be with them. In fact, you know, Catholics even even have like a special place for babies who aren't baptized. You know, in, because of their quote-unquote innocence, you know, they, they don't willfully do anything wrong, and yet they haven't been, they haven't been baptized. They can't, think, they can't go to heaven. There's something a little more solid than that. Think about what you were talking about a minute ago about the head of the family. He speaks for the whole family. If I'm going, to, uh, if I'm going to become an American, or whatever, the father speaks, and everybody follows that. They become that. He decides on behalf of everybody, even the servants in the house, much less the children. He makes the decisions, and that decision applies to the kids too. But, but it doesn't in terms of citizenship. Well, not modern citizenship. No. Yeah, I mean it doesn't. That although, doesn't happen. although if you if you're born if you're born of an American citizen, you are automatically an American right. citizen. But only if, but only if you. Only if, um, if they were citizens when you were. In yeah. other words, if, if a family comes here, comes here, uh, and, and they have one or more children, and then the parent 
either the father or the mother becomes a citizen, that doesn't propagate down to their children. But but if you look at, uh, you know, the early church was totally Jewish, and you think about this, these, these 3,000 Jews and the apostles, the early Jewish Christians, their, their children, their, their males, had been circumcised, right? And so they were part of the covenant people. They didn't. They didn't wait till they got up to be twelve or thirteen years old to circumcise the Right. They did it on the eighth day. Right. So you became you became a part of, of Israel, whether you wanted to be or not. They didn't ask the baby right. your choice. Right. You were part of the and, nation. And so would it? Would it have been natural for them to think, well, if, if I'm going to, if the child is going to be circumcised, then they should also be baptized. Because uh, baptism was considered by many to be the spiritual equivalent of circumcision. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, and in the second and third centuries now you you could say well the church just went astray immediately after the apostles died the church went astray on this but on the other hand then you kind of wonder did they really go astray or was this something that goes back to the time of the apostles the, the New Testament certainly doesn't forbid, it doesn't say, now, when you're baptized, make sure you never baptize an infant. No, it doesn't say that, does it? So, it's, uh, I, I gave you that other hand, which comes out of my book, it's called an amb tragic ambiguity. It seems to me there's some ambiguity there. So and there's I'm, no, there's I'm no not, example. There's I'm, not, no. I'm not inclined to tell these people who are baptized as infants, no, you're not baptized, you're going to hell. I'm, I'm just, I used to be inclined that way, but I, 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 and there's I don't no feel examples, There's no examples of people being re-baptized no. as, as adults. Well, yeah, the whole idea of being re-baptized is, is kind of like, can you be remarried? Now, I know people, you know, like for their 50th anniversary, will stand up and have their vows, but you're not really being married again, are you? What's your marriage? You're married. Because if, you, if you don't take those vows, you're still married. <laughs> <laughs> if you go, nope. <laughs> nope, made this mistake once. <laughs> I guess the only way you can be rebaptized is if you renounce Jesus, deny your faith, become an unbeliever and then decide maybe you should be a believer. I've never heard of that, have you? Anybody who had actually renounced their faith? Well, actually there's, yeah, there's plenty. And then, I mean, there's plenty of babies that have been baptized and then as the kids got older, they walked away from their, I don't know that they, you would say they renounced, but they, they walked away and, you know, there are tons of kids in high school and college would tell you that well, you know, but they I'm, got talk, I'm talking about believe. people who actually had affirmed their faith at some point, right? And then renounced it, Not and then decided, no, I think I am a Christian. I I can tell you a personal thing is 
when I was about 11, 12 years old, I was uh, confirmed into the Presbyterian Church, and they sprinkled me. And I never knew any different. I thought I was baptized, you know. And it wasn't you weren't baptized as a baby. Uh, no, I was, I was sprinkled as a as a young. Well, you're that's, that's what yeah, they that, was, that was the question. And as I got older, then, uh, in fact, I was 50 years old, and and uh, and uh, Eddie Fine, he uh, he said, you know, you need to be baptized, you need to be immersed, you know. So I went through baptism. But was I baptized originally? And then, I mean, when I was sprinkled, I I don't know. <laughs> the truth. Well, the Catholics have the, the whole confirmation process where where the individual affirms their faith and repents and, and, and uh, enunciates that they, they understand what it means to be Christians. Can I do that? I've got a really good example of that. Uh, Jenna Tatara, when she was eight, she wanted to be baptized, and she wanted to be baptized. She got re-baptized, and she's now a sophomore in high school. And she came to me and said, I hope you don't feel bad, because she said, I understand my faith now. I don't think I understood my faith back then. So I, it's a thing that puts her mind at ease that, yeah, I really understand. I said, no, Jenna, that's... That's your decision, that's your life, and it well, helps, that you know, makes you feel closer to God. That's fine. I don't think I understood what I was doing when I got married, really. <laughs> Bob, let's yeah. take a vote. Amen. <laughs> but did that mean? Did that mean I had to go back and do it again? No, well, you'd married. have to do that every five years or so, wouldn't you? <laughs> the, this is the way. This is the way the Catholic Church looks. You can't. And, uh, you know, the Catholic Church. If you wanted to join the church, and you've been baptized, and you can prove that you have through some document that, uh, and uh, the, you were baptized on a certain date in the Baptist Church, you know, they're not going to baptize you again. Right. But. I did, and I tell you all this, I may have told you this story before. When I was a campus minister, this girl came to me, who was a student, a Catholic, and she wanted to be immersed, but she didn't want me to immerse her. She wanted her priest to do it. it wasn't, she wasn't leaving the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. but she just felt like she wanted to be immersed. And uh, she said uh, her, that her priest had agreed to do it, uh, in a, a lake up close to where she lived, uh, but he he wasn't really clear on how you would go about that, and she asked me if I would go with her and show the priest how to do it. And so I agreed. So I go up there and I tell the priest, well, this is the way where you do it, you know, the way we do it. And we lay them back in the water and bring them out again, immerse them. And he had his waders on, <laughs> went out in the lake. And then he said, he said her name, if you, if you have not been baptized, he said, if you have not been, I now baptize you. 
So there was that conditional clause put in there. In other words, this if she'd already been baptized, that was not a baptism. That was just, she was just being put under the water, but it wasn't a baptism. She's doing a provision. If she had not been, because she had been sprinkled in a, you know, a Catholic baptism, which was, you know, and I really agree with that, that you can only truly be baptized once. Can't you redeclare your faith anyway? Just redeclare it. You, go you can reaffirm your faith. You want to be took a trip to the Holy Land. Once. And if if you want to go to the Jordan River, I know a lot of Christians who know they've been they've been immersed as adults, and they go to Israel and they will want to be immersed in the Jordan River. But I don't think that's another baptism. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like when you're talking about uh, the Catholic Church, I'm not sure that they think that. You're baptized if you're not baptized by a priest, because only priests can do certain sacraments, right? No, but that's, uh, the baptism doesn't have to be performed by a priest. Not even in the Catholic that's one. The, the, only the priest can do the Mass, the communion, right. and uh, things like confirmation. But baptism, uh, in, in an emergency situation, anybody can baptize. They even, I think, sometimes teach Catholic nurses. Maybe a stillborn. Sometimes there are Catholic nurses that will baptize them or sprinkle that stillborn child. Hmm. See, to me, that's to me, that's a fearful thing. That's saying. I, I, Somehow you think that this sprinkling of water on a stillborn child is going to get that child into heaven. Yeah. You know, that's that's a, to me that's a fearful thing. As though as though that's whether or not you sprinkle some water on is going to make a difference. To, uh, well, the, uh, you know, the doctrine is that the baptism then includes them in the, fully in the body of Christ. If they're not fully included, they're not sent to hell, but they go to limbo. Have you ever heard that doctrine oh, yeah. of limbo? limbo. It's kind of a place between yeah. heaven, but it's not a place of suffering. <coughs> you're not fully uh, with the saints of God. So you're, you're not with God. Yeah. I can't imagine any more suffering than that. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's purgatory. <laughs> purgatory is the waiting room. Yeah, pur- limbo <laughs> is, there's no time limit in limbo. It's, it's a life sentence, so to speak. Unless you can buy indulgences, then that might not oh. Well, uh, we, we kind of skipped uh, the point number four here. Uh, which, which the this chapter doesn't really spend a lot of time on anyway. Uh, right. What what is the meaning of baptism? What's the, the whole purpose and point of it? Uh, but that's of course laid out in many pa- places in the New Testament. Uh, it's described. Even the baptism of John is described as a baptism of repentance. Indicates repentance. 
been for the forgiveness of sins. And Peter said on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38, in a very similar way, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. But here there is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's added to John's baptism. So remission of sins uh, was part of John's baptism, but the baptism in the name of the of Christ or the Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit includes the new birth and uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, there was this big debate among the Campbellites and the Baptists in the 19th century and continuing into the 20th century. It, is your, are your sins not forgiven if you aren't uh, before or after you're baptized? In other words, uh, the Baptist doctrine is you, by faith and repentance, your sins are forgiven and you're baptized to, as a sign that your sins are forgiven or as a way of uh, coming into the uh, church to be a full member of the church. But uh, your, your forgiveness of sins doesn't depend on whether you are baptized or not. But in the uh, Churches of Christ that had this doctrine that your sins aren't forgiven until after that's far the remission of your sins. Well, if you if you want to download that chapter, you you've got it here, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, baptism remission of sins. There's a full discussion of that. Front back, front back there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of it has to do with. What does far mean? Um, you, 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 uh, Christ's death is for our remission of sins, isn't it? Our repentance is for remission of sins. But the far has a, has a little different meaning, particularly if you think about the Christ's death. His death accomplished what was necessary to be accomplished so that our sins could be forgiven. That's the basis of our forgiveness. That's why his death is for the forgiveness of sins, isn't it? But the word for, baptism for, must have a different meaning. It doesn't mean it, it's not the basis of our salvation. Water's not doing anything. <laughs> the way the death of accomplished right. our salvation is the blood of Christ. And, the, and it's far in a different sense, isn't it? And I think that needs to be taken into account. There, <clears throat> there was an understanding in the, in the early church, I think in the New Testament, it's always kind of assumed that if you want to be a Christian, you're, you're baptized. It's kind of like, uh, if you want to be married, you know, you, you stand up and take your vows, don't you? Or, and, and in our custom, you know, normally you exchange rings. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really make much sense. This is kind of a bad question uh, to ask, do I have to be baptized? That's, that's really the wrong question. Um, for example, if uh, uh, I, I asked my Doris to marry me, and I said, I've got this beautiful ring, and I'm asking you to marry me. 
And she said, well, do I have to take that ring to be married? Is that necessary? Do I have to take your ring? And I would, I'd say, why wouldn't you? you? Know, what, what's the problem here? Yeah, why wouldn't you? <laughs> I thought all women liked jewelry. <laughs> you, you don't want, you don't want this ring. You know, why would you be even be asking that right. question? Right. Do I have to take it? Rather than say, rather than thinking of it as a, a privilege, a blessing. That's why I titled my little book on baptism, What a Blessing. Think of baptism as a blessing. It's something God, like God is giving you this sign that you belong to Him, that you have been united with Christ in baptism through the girl. And it's a sign that you do, that you receive as a gift. I know the Baptists talk about it as an or I don't like to think of baptism as an ordinance. Now the church was commanded, the disciples were commanded to go and teach and to baptize. But the person who is being baptized receives something as a gift. He's receiving salvation and he's receiving the sign of his salvation. It's, it's a gift like my ring this ring I give to my wife and the ring she gave to, gave to me. It's not a com so much as a command, as a gift. Does, does that make some sense to you to think about baptism that way? That what a blessing it is that God gives us this external sign to give us some assurance. Now, you might say, well, you've got his word. Well, and you can trust his word, but we are we are still earthly creatures, physical creatures. Jesus could have could have said to his disciples, "Now I want y'all to remember that that I died for you. My body was hung on the cross, and I want you to remember that my blood was shed. Please, would y'all remember that?" He could have just left it that way. He could have put, told them to remember it. Didn't he? But instead, he took some bread and broke it and gave to him. Then said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he says, when you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Now, there's a there's a do that's associated with it. Yeah. You know, you're to do this. The, same thing with but can you imagine one of the disciples says, well, do I have to drink that to remember you? That's a stupid question. Yeah. Well, no more so than many of the other questions. That would have been Peter's question. Do you think the disciples were, were maybe two or three of them says, well, I can remember you. I don't have to drink that. Peter might have said, well, I'm gluten-free, so I, I don't want to take the bread. I'm so, I'm so super spiritual, I don't need anything to remind me. You know, I'm so super spiritual, I don't need uh, to be baptized to know I'm saved. Well, and, and there's... It makes sense that there's there's multiple things that we're commanded to do. I mean, it's it's not our place to separate those things. In other words, you, you, you can repent from the evil things you've done and not be a believer in Jesus, but you're not saved, right. you know, if you just repent. 
you're not, you're not saved if you just believe who Jesus was, but aren't sorry for all the all the things you've done. So they're all they're all part of it. But faith is far is far salvation in a different sense than Christ's death is far salvation. Faith is far salvation in the sense of our trusting what Christ did. But what he did is is the is the basis of it. Our faith is a manner of of accepting it true for us. And a baptism is for our salvation, our remission of sins, as a sign and a and a seal. That's the way I put it. Well, it's not the way I put it. That's the way Calvin put it. It's a sign and a seal. It signifies our salvation, and in this way, it puts a seal on it. Um, to me, it's important it's a, that it's both of those things. It's not. It's not just an external sign for other people's benefit. It's for our benefit, right? Yeah, right. it's for our benefit. When Jesus gave the Lord's Supper, you know, to the disciples, that was for their benefit. It was not because he, <laughs> it, when they met, were meeting together, that somehow or other, uh, when the church met for communion, that that was for the benefit of the community, for their benefit. Well, we got two more chapters, uh, and we'll meet we only one more week this right. year. Right.